Now, it's been a couple of weeks since we were here. Last week, we were at Worship in the Park, had a good time there. Chad and Leslie Seagraves were with us from 1040 Connections. So what I want to do today is we're going to do our best to go through pretty much all of chapter 2, except for the last few verses. They are such a lead into chapter 3, we're going to save that for next week. I want to go very quickly through where we were last time we were together, which were the first six verses of chapter 2. I just want to get everyone refreshed on where we've been, where we're going, and then we'll begin talking about um, the rest of that. And if this is your first time here or your first time during this series, uh, this is an interactive series in which I'm going to do some teaching, but some of the teaching is going to be done by you. And so that means that you will have the opportunity to, to talk, to ask questions, um, and we want you to be able to do that. The ground rules, just as a reminder, uh, be respectful. If you want to offer a, a you know, contradictory opinion, that is what this is for. Be sure you have scripture to back it up. As you're preparing, be sure you're reading through the week. And be sure you're praying about it so that you are truly trying to digest what God is saying because your greatest insights in Scripture will not come here. They will be in your own personal study. So I encourage you to really spend time reading it. If you want to read commentaries, read commentaries. Um, but really dig in. Let the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to help make this stuff make sense to you. So we grow in that. It's like exercising you know, a muscle. You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit, you know, pull you along and show you things. Sometimes that means involving others. Sometimes that means reading other materials. But many times it's just the the day-to-day practice of learning to listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to, to say to you. All right, are you all ready? Okay, two of you are going to talk, and everyone else is like, uh, what are, what? Oh, David's here. David, if you're going to raise your hand, you can just dance across if you need to. And if, you're, if, if your hand is up, I want you to know something. So the, these are reading glasses. And so if I have them off, I look awesome, don't I? Right? But I can't read anything. And this is because I'm getting old. And if I put them on, I, I don't look as awesome. Um, I can read really well, but you all are all f- blurry. So that's why I'm on and off. So it is possible I'll miss your hand, just get my attention, and now you're welcome to my world. All right, okay. Let's begin with 1 John chapter 2. I want to go quickly through the verse 6 verses, but this is important. As we talked about in the first week, uh, there are four primary reasons that John gives for writing the, the first epistle of John. And of those four reasons, what we want to look at here is the reality that uh, John wants us to consider truth. He wants us to consider love. He wants us to walk in truth. And he opens chapter 2 uh, with one of the reasons. And we know it's one of the reasons he wrote it because he says, this is why I'm writing this. And then we're going to end today. Hopefully, if we go through this quickly enough, we're going to end with another reason that will then introduce us into what we're going to talk about next week. Another reason why he does. So listen to those key phrases and words. Um, Let me just quickly catch us up and then we're going to jump back into verse seven. All right. First John chapter two, beginning with uh, verse one, my little children, I am writing these things to you. Keywords so that you may not sin. Which when I read that, I think, (laughs) good luck. You're right. Do you ever read it that way? Probably not. You're probably a better Christian than me. But I read it and I go, oh, good luck. He's not saying that you literally will live a life just like Christ. 
He's saying that you will live a life following the way of Jesus so that you're not just, you know, in an uneducated fashion, you know, sinning because you don't know better or because so you won't choose to sin because it's not that big a deal. So those are the two things he's fighting, not literally trying to get you to live a life without any sin. We are constantly going to live lives of repentance. We are constantly the follower of Jesus is constantly going to be praying prayers of repentance not so that that we don't go to hell but because we recognize that sin separates us from god and we need to address that and get it out so that's what he's opening up with this is a push towards living lives of holiness the fact that john is writing this means that some of the churches he's working with and remember we're talking about the area of turkey after the dispersion and john has left jerusalem and he is now primarily planting influencing and preaching at different churches around turkey whenever we look at the the book of revelation that is john's vision same john john's vision and when he says these are my letters to the seven churches he's talking about the seven churches he's been working with in this area so he's saying there's a problem and i'm not writing this just to reinforce something i've said before there's a problem and i want you to listen to what i'm saying i'm sending you a solution i'm writing these things so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin ha 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 we have an advocate with the father so we spent some time talking about jesus as our advocate and the, the fact that he is there for us he's not there trying to catch us tripping up he is there for us he is the propitiation or atonement of our sins and not for ours only but also the sins of the whole world and by this we know that we have come to know him now your your antenna should go up when you read verses like this this he he's not trying to be subtle he's saying this is a the way that we know that we know him and increasingly as you mature how we can look at others and know whether they know him by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments so this is the push for holiness now as we go through this i want us to be careful the church has historically taken the wrong stance on holiness what we have done and when i say historically i mean in the last few hundred years not for the last two thousand years and that is you're bad i'm good i'm going to tell you how bad your sin is but i'm not going to talk about mine that is not the way of jesus or the apostles or what john is saying here he's talking about the role that sin has in life the what the the depravity that it brings the brokenness that that leads to and we are to follow the teachings of jesus not just say hey jesus saved me now i'm going to do what i want that's what he's saying here that is a very orthodox way of understanding what this means not that we're going to now create this list most of the time interesting what you'll find out are people that like to create these sin lists their list is full of all the sins they don't struggle with and it is amazingly void of the sins that they do struggle with and so one of the things that jesus constantly said in this regard is you need to deal with your own sin before you worry about anyone else's sin and so that was always jesus's focus when someone would come and say hey jesus he's not doing the right thing oh yeah what about what's in your heart it was consistently jesus's response you know remove the plank from your eye before you worry about the speck in someone else's so 
But the, the keeping of his commandments has always crucial throughout uh, the New Testament. Jesus and the apostles. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, which is where the word Christian comes from. Christian literally means little Christ. We look like Jesus. Now, we don't look like Jesus in his perfection. We don't look like Jesus in his divinity, but we look like Jesus in the way we walk to the best of our abilities. So this is John entering into the conversation, and the rest of this chapter is pretty much focused, and even on into the next, is focused in this direction. Now, it's easy to take all this and chalk it up to the idea of just do better. Aren't those friends fun? Who offer no real encouragement or advice other than you just really need to do better. They are not fun, and they are not good counsel. Because every one of us, to some degree, feels that. Don't, don't you feel that? You know, I rarely find a Christian who says, you know what, I just, I just always do the right thing. I, anyone who says that, I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, most of the time, really I'd say every time, someone is a serious follower of Jesus, there is a very open recognition of their own brokenness. They recognize that. We don't look at Jesus as the ticket. We look at Jesus as the solution and the thing that puts us back together. And so we recognize that brokenness. We are not so eager. There is a reason for us to talk about the sin of other people because it leads to more brokenness in them. But if we do it from any other place of Jesus has put me back together and I want him to put you back together. If we do it from any other reason than that, That is not the way that Jesus leads us. So these are all important things that we are walking in the same way that he did. We talked about the reality of Jesus as our advocate. In the Greek, it literally means to call to one side. It's the picture of an attorney. It's like Jesus is your attorney. I love that imagery. The idea that he's not there looking down at me going, all right, let's see if he messes this one up. Instead, hey, come on, I'm going to help you out. I want to help you out. And then... Well, you know, typically an attorney is going to, sh- to shine things in the right light. Now, Jesus is not going to lie for us, and he's not going to represent us in any way that is not true. But he is on our side to be our advocate for, in front of God the Father, who is the judge, for us, the sinner who is broken, who without Jesus are, can do nothing right. Okay? So he is our advocate. I love that imagery. The other thing, and I want to close out just what we talked about last time, with the two most powerful and transforming forces in the world other than God, when he chooses to act, are the realities of love and shame. We spent quite a bit of time talking about this two weeks ago. Love and shame are the two most powerful forces in the world outside of God himself. Love builds up. Love encourages. Love leads to healing. Shame is an easy way to control people, and it is so easy to use. Jesus consistently used love, not shame. And so when we look at this and we look at what uh, he is trying to say, he is not trying to shame us because we are not good enough. 
He's trying to demonstrate God's love and the love of Jesus. He is our advocate. He wants to see us come to healing. And what we are going to read here in just a few verses and what we have seen through other church fathers who what they focused on heavily, heavily, heavily is to follow Jesus is not to get into heaven, but to follow Jesus is to be returned to the place for what we were created to be before sin in the Garden of Eden. The orthodox understanding, when I say orthodox, I've been saying that we're not becoming an orthodox church. If you're familiar with the orthodox church, orthodox means has been commonly held from the beginning. That orthodox understanding is that Jesus says we should become like him because that is why he came to restore us. You guys that were in centrifuge, the focus at centrifuge this year was on restoration. He has come to restore us to what he intended for us to be from the beginning. All right. We also uh, ended last week with you cannot willfully continue in sin and be whole. Cannot do it. You cannot say this sin is now okay with God and still be whole. We cannot reconcile in our, by our own reason something that God has not said. You cannot willfully continue in sin and be whole. And the question I left with you was this, how has knowing God through Christ changed you? There should be a change in us. Not just a change in what I believe, but I should be changed. Okay? All right. Any questions about that very rapid summary? Okay? I don't see any movement. David? Nope. Renee? Okay? Define willfully. Willfully, knowing it's wrong and choosing to do it anyways. Now, all sin to some degree is willful once you know what sin is, right? Is that your question? Yeah, so I would just say the difference, the question is, what's the difference in walking in sin or continuing in sin and following Jesus? Aren't we just all going to sin? Aren't we all kind of walking in sin and continuing in sin? So the difference is a particular sin that you know you shouldn't do, but you willfully choose to do because you value what you get for doing it over what God says how to handle it. Versus, yes, we all continue in sin. We all are going to sin. I've already sinned today, right? I don't know if you did. I've already sinned today. I plan to do it again later. Well, that's not good. See, that's exactly opposite <laughs> of what I just said you should do. I will sin later. I don't plan to. I will, though, sin later. And so that is a con- living and continually in sin. But if that doesn't lead to repentance, repentance does not mean I'm sorry. Okay? Have you ever had a friend hurt you and say, I'm sorry? And do it again, I'm sorry. And do it again, I'm sorry. And do it again. Repentance is literally a changing uh, of direction. It's not, it, you, it may be accompanied with I'm sorry, but it is literally a change in the way that we live. I'm going to adjust myself. And that, again, doesn't mean that you never commit that sin again, but when you do, it leads you to a place of repentance. Like that's their 
that's their thing that they struggle with. Yes. Um, yes. Would you say that the difference is that they're at war with their sins versus embracing it? Embracing it, saying, well, I'm just going to do this because it's just. That's a very good question. It's a very good question. You're, but, but let me. Let me see if I'm understanding correctly. You're, are you talking about temptation or the following through after temptation? Both. Okay. So the question then is, and this is, this is a good question, and this does fall in line with what, first, what John's talking about here in First John 2. So the question is, so what if you have like a pet sin, like a thing that you constantly struggle with? Uh, we all have them. There are those weaknesses in which the enemy has been active for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, maybe longer, who knows, uh, but he's been active and he is adept at manipulation, confusion, and he finds your weakness. Uh, he is not all powerful. He is not all knowing. He does not have those characteristics of God, but he knows how to get at you. And in, in addition, just the way sin works in humanity is that we do each tend to have different sins that we struggle with. You know, and uh, the, the, so the fact that you constantly struggle with the sin, you know, we don't really know what Paul meant when he said, I had a thorn in the flesh and I asked him to remove it three times and he didn't. Some people say, oh, he had a physical condition, but we don't know that. We don't know. The, the, what Paul also, one of the reasons that pushes me away that his was a physical thing. I mean, it could have been his eyesight. It could have said, well, I can't see. You know, it could have been his eyesight. I can't see. You know, he said, I write with such big letters <laughs> because I can't see. Uh, it could have been that. But what he also says is, I have to daily be in training and beat the air if I'm going to lay hold of this message that I'm preaching to you. I have to practice this day in and day out. I'm like a boxer beating the air, which is a picture of a constant battle with sin that he, of all of the apostles, was very harsh on sin. <laughs> And yet he said, this is a constant battle. There is a difference in a constant battle against a temptation and a constantly craving, or not craving, craving sometimes, but caving to that temptation. So that is a constant battle that we're going to face, which goes to what he's saying. When that happens, not if, when that happens, you have an advocate with the Father. So go to the Father, and that is where forgiveness lies. He is our advocate in those moments. So the fact that you may struggle with, uh, you know, let's not, let's not get too personal. Let's do the easy ones. Let's say gossip. You struggle with gossip, okay? We can all talk about gossip and not feel too bad about it, even if we're guilty of it, right? You struggle with gossip, and you, you know, it's like, oh, 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 oh I just overheard something. I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. And we all know somebody like that. Maybe we are that person. I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. That's a battle to say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to spread this. And every time you hear, learn something juicy, oh, that's a good one. We need to pray about this. And you get your group around and we're going to pray for this person now, right? So if you do end up doing that, you have an advocate with the Father to say, I need to turn from this behavior, mm-hmm. right? All right, I got to move on. I got to move on. We can have a conversation about this later, okay? Good question. And I think we'll probably address it again as we come through this. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. And I'm going to ask you, I hope if you've done some reading and, and struggling with this, I'm going to ask you what he means here, and then we'll talk about it. 
Verse John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, which feels like a pivot here, but it's not. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, we have lots of of commandment language here. As you've read through this, what would you say that John is referring to as the old commandment? Anybody jump into that this week? Hmm? Okay, love. Okay, Old Testament, love. Let's just get as many answers as we can and then we'll talk through it. Forgiveness. Okay, so you're, you're going straight to the relationship part of that passage, right? Is that where you're going? Yeah. Okay. Give him your other cheek. I'm keeping both of mine. Yeah, right. I turn the other cheek. Yeah, I give him your coat. Is your yeah mixing the yeah? I got you. I'm sorry. It's all semantics. I'm sorry. I repent. All right. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's kind of Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Yeah. Right. Okay. Anybody else? Old Commandment? Yeah, I think it was the Deuteronomy and the Jesus bringing forth of the Deuteronomy, like, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. He reaffirms it. Okay. All right. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, the codes, which would be the Old Testament law. Right? Anybody else? Anybody else want to throw something in the ring? You're all talking about, I, I think you're all saying essentially the same thing. And I, and I think this is what he's talking about. The old commandment, Jesus himself said, I am not doing away with the Old Testament law. I am not doing away with it. What he said was, I am going to give you a new commandment, which in my interpretation of that, is the culmination of the law when it's lived out. So we have the old commandment and the new commandment. Jesus talked about a new commandment, and John is not likely to be superseding Jesus and saying, now, John, here's an old commandment, and then Jesus gave a commandment, and now I'm giving you a new commandment, because John didn't have that kind of authority. But in all likelihood, in the Old Testament, when we talk about the law, that, that is what he's saying. He's talking about that old code, old code. And whenever Jesus talks about following his teachings, he is still talking about the old code. Now, we do have some problems with that in that Peter has this really strange experience in which some of the old code is now rendered 
meaningless. And some of that old code was what you would eat. And so we have that incredibly interesting experience between Peter and Cornelius in which Cornelius is, uh, is not a Jewish believer. But he asked Jesus to come over and care for his sick child. And, Jesus, and Peter is saying, I don't know that I can do that because I, he's not a believer. And in my understanding, he's not a Jew. It's not clean for me to go there. And he has this then vision of this tablecloth coming down with all these foods you're not supposed to eat. And Jesus saying, this is all fair game now. And what Peter took from that vision was that, okay, the very things in which God had said would separate us from the Gentiles no longer separate us from them. And so he went willingly, gleefully to Cornelius and, they, and that was a beginning of a turning point in Peter's understanding of the gospel being for the Jews, going out to the Gentiles. Which, if you read the New Testament, that, that is the tension between Paul and Peter initially. Peter is saying the church is here. There are many people saying, you've got to become a Jew. You've got to be following all these laws. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to be doing all our customs if you're going to follow us. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. That is not what Jesus was saying. And so between Paul pushing and this experience or this vision that Peter has, that's when the leadership of the church begins to say, yes, the gospel needs to go out to the Gentiles and they don't have to follow our old customs of separation anymore. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to wear the, the, you know, the long hair. They don't have to wear the tassels. They don't have to eat the right diet. You know, that is all gone. The things that separated us as God's people being separate from others are no longer applicable. So we have that experience. But John recognizes that in these churches in Turkey, there's a problem. And the problem is that they are dismissing all of the Old Testament law. This is happening today in the church everywhere. It's about grace. Absolutely it's about grace. The fact that there are those that still believe you are made right before God on your own efforts. It is a lie from the pit of hell. And yet many people have this and, and they hold it over others. When a person willfully and joyfully points out the sin of others, they believe the lie that they have done something on their own to earn favor with God. Everything in Scripture says that is not true. So as we look at this, he's saying, but do not say that all the things that we've held to all along are still not important to God. Because why he gave us those laws in the beginning was so that you would see what your life would have looked like had sin not entered in the Garden of Eden. That was the purpose. The law was given so that we would know the boundaries of sin. And so he calls us, when you follow his teachings, that's why he says, I have not come to do away with the law but to fulfill it. And he says the new commandment is one of the ways that we fulfill it. And that is what is the new commandment? What was the one that Jesus gave? Love the Lord to God. What are the greatest commandments? It's not new, but 
What, what is the, the greatest commandment? And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, so, the, yeah. So, so the, pro- the problem with do unto others as they would do unto you is we all have a different scale of what we want people to do to us. <laughs> I'm not sure I want you treating me based on what your capacity is, <laughs> you know? Like, I love it when people make fun of me. Well, I don't like that. So if you like it, I don't want you making fun of me because you like it, right? But... There is a place and where that was intended, and actually that is a good, is a good point. The, the reason that was put in there is, uh, as we look at a, kind of a bigger picture, uh, do you want people to lead you to truth? Do you want people to love you? Do you want people to show you what is good and what is right? Do you want to have someone to invest in your life so that you experience eternal life with Christ? So in that sense, yes. What we... When we take the, the, the way that that golden rule that we call it often de- devolves into, as well, as long as I'm okay if somebody does it to me, I'm okay with me doing that to you. And that's really a low bar. That's a very low bar. Um, Jesus' bar was a lot higher than that. Um, all right. Old commandment, new commandment. That new commandment that he's talking about, or what he's encouraging them in, do not abandon the pursuit of holiness. Do not abandon it. Jesus didn't teach that we would abandon it. The apostles did not teach that we abandon it. Anyone in, in the world today that tells you that you do not need to pursue holiness is going against all of the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. All of them. All of them. So, as we look at that, though, he recognizes Exactly what happens still today, that people take that as a mandate to lord over others and their failures, which is what Jesus had to spend a pretty good amount of time addressing. And so then he goes in, and this is why I say it looks like a pivot, but it's really not a pivot. He talks about the difference between walking in the light and walking in the darkness. And what does he mention here? What is the difference here? Somebody? Who does he say in those next few verses that we just read, what's, what's the difference in someone walking in darkness and light? Whether you what? Whether you hate a brother or not. Hate or love a brother. So that totally brings in what Jesus is saying, that the culmination of the law is not in our ability to be perfect. The culmination in the law is the way that we will begin to love others. Now, is John saying that we love all people in the world equally here got some no's somebody disagree okay okay well okay you're gonna to need to break that down tracy okay so what tracy said if you didn't hear was that there there is a difference in the way there's not a difference in the way we love there is a difference in the way we treat people or did i get that backwards yeah. Okay, so right. Okay, so there is a base level, just kind, graceful, compassionate to others. Yeah, I would. I would agree with you on that. 
Absolutely. There is a baseline. When you go out to eat after church, leave a better tip than everyone else in the restaurant, you know, even if your server's not a Christian, right? That's just basic being a decent person. And on Sundays after church, they assume you've been to church, and if they're not a believing server and you, you know, stiff them on the tip, they are not motivated to learn anything about Jesus because his people can be jerks, right? Which is true no matter what we do. We are jerks. Uh, It's part of being broken and overcoming that brokenness. So hopefully we become less of a jerk than we are early on, and that continues in our life. Anything else? Yeah. Like that's the more loving thing. So if you ask yourself every every person, what's the most loving thing? It's not always going to be. It's not always going to be mercy. Right. Sometimes the most loving thing is to wish mercy for people. That's right. It is true. Yeah, it is true. What she's saying is sometimes the most loving thing is not to just basically, I'm paraphrasing, make someone feel good. Sometimes what you have to say to someone can be very hurtful, but that is a demonstration of love, which is a good point. That goes back to Proverbs too, though. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Yeah, read that louder. I said, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Yes. Caitlin? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. So this is a this is really something that we would need to spend a lot more time on. Are we really called to love everyone equally? And there is a baseline level of yes, absolutely. I mean, there's a love. If you're not sharing the gospel in some way with someone who's lost, can you really be said to be loving them? All right? So there is a baseline of love. You know, if you look down on people because you don't feel like they're as good of a person because they don't know Jesus like you do, which, let's be honest, a lot of Christians do that. If you do that, then that is not being a loving person. But consistently, when, when they're talking about this kind of love, and when Jesus says, you, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another, he is talking about the church. Now, this is a challenge in which I struggle with daily. How do I love the church and love people outside the church? Because there's also a feeling that we should love people outside the church even more so than people in the church. And there's some truth to that in the sense of I sacrifice for people outside the church sometimes more than inside the church, right? So if you go on a Saturday morning to do a work day uh, for someone who may not be a believer and you're away from your family or you're spending resources, time, money on a project that benefits someone who may not be a believer in the hopes that they will be cared for and maybe you'll also have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, then yeah, there are times, that is, a, that is a, a sense of love for others. But what Jesus is saying and what John is talking about are each other within the church. They're going to look at the way we love each other and want to be a part of that. And the problem is, is we're historically very bad at this. We're very divided. You know, the church has been in America on the wrong side of some issues and that carries with us. One of the hard things about character is you can build an entire lifetime building it 
and in a moment you can lose it. I've seen it happen in the church. I remember in one particular event at a different church, uh, I remember we were having a conversation about race, and this, and which is a complicated conversation. It is not a simple conversation. Every person on TV that makes it simple, uh, do, they don't understand the issues. It's a complicated issue. When, and I don't say that, and, and let me just be careful in how I say that. I don't, I don't say that as a hedge that it's okay to be racist. Like it's complicated, so you know, if somebody's racist, it's no big deal. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the reason a person is racist is a complicated thing that you have to unravel. You can't just say, stop being a racist, right? You just, you, this just doesn't work that way. They're that way for a reason, and, and they didn't just get that way overnight. They're not going to overcome it overnight. You've got to unravel that. But there was a man in our church that had built an incredible reputation and incredible character. And he stood up in the middle of this conversation and he said, you don't understand what kind of people those people are. And in that moment, this man in his elderly years lost all the character he had brought, had built in that time. Could he bring it back? Yes. Repentance is a character builder. I was wrong. Would have reversed a lot of it. But pride would not allow that. And so you can, in a moment, lose what you spent a lifetime building. And the church can do that too and has done that. And so we have to be careful. It's easy to then take that reality and say, you know what? Uh, those, those are just bad Christians. I can't stand them. I won't talk to them. I will get on social media and land blast them. And now we're we're sinning against what Jesus said. We're supposed to love one another. Now, someone might say, well, then we have to reassess our definition of love because love may be saying you're wrong. And I would agree with you. But we have to be careful in the way that we demonstrate unity. One of the ways I, I deal with this personally, and I know I'm, I'm doing a lot of talking here. One of the ways I do this personally is I have to recognize my own sinfulness. When someone makes me mad, and I really want them to know it, because, you know, that's the way we all are, let's be honest. When I'm really mad, and I want you to know it, there are times I have to, you know, and I, I think as the Holy Spirit, because I wouldn't have done this on my own. I didn't do this when, you know, before I was a believer. The Holy Spirit, like, brings all the things I did wrong. Does anybody else have that filter in their head? It's like, I'm ready to let you have it. And then it's like the Holy Spirit says, well, let's just show your B-roll right and I, oh never mind never mind okay i got it never mind but how we love each other does matter and i also don't want to narrow this conversation down to a simple just don't be mean to somebody that is not the conversation of love because again what is mean to you what is mean to you if, a, if an addict comes to you and says if you want to love me i need money for drugs you don't say okay I, because of jesus i'm going to love you here's money go get drugs you know it's 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 a these are these are complicated issues that we've tried to make so simple that it doesn't work when we miss the complexity of them of course there's a simple answer jesus but even that is that fails i'm struggling with with addiction what should i do you should just you should just get jesus oh like at dollar tree or like you know where you know how do i do that 
So, you know, they are complex issues. And and what we have a tendency to do, because this is the world we live in, is we we boil them down into these two or three little arguments when there's a, a million of them. And as followers of Jesus, we have to get to, well, where's Jesus on this? And now, how do I help a person unravel from the place that they're in? Whenever you can begin to look at somebody and look past their sin and see their hurt, that is the beginning, I think. Once you see what's causing this within them, then you can really cause help. You can really help. But even that is a simplistic answer for some very complex things. All right, I don't even remember how we got here, by the way. Any, Any other thoughts or questions or someone wants to get us back on track before I look at my notes? Thoughts or questions? Yeah. Yes, very good. Yeah, thank you, Ian. Yes, a lot of this comes back to the Holy Spirit, us following his lead. And Jesus did give both examples. He called Peter Satan, (laughs) not a compliment. And he took a woman who was about to be stoned, absolutely legal, in that moment. That was absolutely the legal, God-given response to adultery in the moment. Picked her up, you without the first sin, cast the first stone. Told her go and sin no longer. Oh, yeah. He still loved them, but he was pointing out their flaw. Yeah. He wasn't afraid to. And that's the difference, I think, between loving people and liking them. Because I love everybody, but I don't like a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's not name names today, Ken. (laughs) Yeah, right. There's a real dance between learning how to love people and hate sin. Yes. Yes, yes. Very good. Thank you, Ken. And I, and I would just piggyback on that and say, so while this conversation is focused very much on the activity of following the teachings that we find in Scripture, at the end of the day, our motivation cannot be, these are the rules, if I went in, I have to follow them. It has to be the, the parable of uh, the pearl of great price. It has to be the parable of the treasure buried in a field. It has to be, I have all this stuff. 
I have this whole life I've built. I have this whole way of seeing the world. I have this whole way of living life. But I have seen something that is so much more valuable than any of that. And I'll give it all up to have that, which is a relationship with Christ and a relationship. That is the motivation for this. And I think that's also a timely point in that when we're talking about how do we treat other people, that has to be the root of it. It has to be, I have found a love for Christ. I have received a love from Christ. That's what I want you to experience. Not that you follow these rules that I've chosen to follow. And I don't know that that's where you were going, but that's what it made me think of. Yeah, that the, the love is, is far deeper than that. Far deeper than that, yeah. Mm. Not worried about berating him for recognizing the errors of ways, but rejoicing that he came back. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. An interesting an interesting challenge is to go back and read the the parable of the prodigal son and ask yourself who was it really about, <laughs> and or who was it more than one person? Anyways. Okay. Good thoughts. Good co- Good thoughts. Um, I just wrote down in some of my notes, the old commandment was the pursuit of holiness, but it was through a system that was not maintainable. It was the ability to be holy and we had to do it on our efforts. And then there was a system of sacrifice and of atonement that we would never atone enough for. We would never get there. It was a way for us to see that sin was there, but it should have also been a way to see that it was impossible to achieve and why we needed Jesus to come. And then the ongoing conversation is how do we love other people? Again, this there's not a simple, well, we just need to love people. What does that mean? If you're married, it'd be interesting to ask your spouse, what do they think it means to be loved? It may not be the same as yours. So we have to get into the place of, well, what is God's idea of what it means to love people? That is the definition of love not when we approach it from our broken standpoint. Let's move on. Uh, John chapter 17, when he talks about this reality of we've got to love each other, this is one of the things he prayed for. This is one of the things we don't see a whole lot of, but one of the things that is beginning to happen in our city and in other cities, and I'm super excited about it. He says, I, this is the um, high priestly prayer. I do not ask for these only, also for those who will believe in me through their word. They may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. The, one of the problems is, not everyone who says they're a church is. So we are one with true followers of Jesus. We are not one with people who say I'm a Christian and and they're not following Jesus. And that's a problem for us in a media-driven world and one that we like to stereotype and we like to have two camps, two choices. You're either this or that. You're a Democrat or you're a Republican. You're either a racist or you're not a racist. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. We love to have two choices and to just go down the line and say, yep, you fit there. Yep, you fit there. Yep, you fit there. Because it's easy and it doesn't take any effort on our part to get to know anyone. What he's saying is that we are one with other followers 
of Jesus. He also equates life with Christ as walking in light and life without Christ as walking in darkness. If you go through and you look at all the places of what believe, how believers are supposed to treat each other, I, every now and again I pull this list out. I'm going to pull it out again. The one another's list. I'm going to go through them very quickly. The one another's. Those are, this is a new version if you want to look all these up later. And the one another's, this is what we read in Scripture. They will wash one another's feet. True followers of Jesus will wash one another's feet, outdo one another in showing honor, live in harmony with one another, not pass judgment on one another, Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another when you eat together. Some of you have so latched onto that that if I go out to eat with you and I eat first, you remind me of this every time, by the way, that, which is good. That's fine. Do it. Wait for one another when you eat together. That's really a good one to chew on. <laughs> Pun intended. You know, that's really a good one to chew on because why should we wait for one another when we eat? Ah, there's a lot more there than just, you know, it's timing. It's just timing. We should all eat at the same time and digest at the same time. There's a bigger meaning here. Care for one another. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Through love, serve one another. Bearing one another's burden. We need to spend six months on this one. <laughs> Bearing one another's burden. Bear with one another in love. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Teach and admonish one another in wisdom. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Seek to do good for one another and to everyone. Exhort one another. Consider how to stir up one another for love and good works. Pray for or confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another and love one another. There are all kinds of places in Scripture that says that my purpose for for you is not that you go to heaven. My purpose for you is for you to be to experience what I created you for, and I created you to live in community with other people with me. And so what he's saying here is the reason that it's a problem when someone hates their brother or sister is that they are not living out what Jesus came to restore, which was a community with God in which we are all together in one family. Now, this does not mean that we don't hold each other accountable. And there were some great points two weeks ago that you can't truly hold someone accountable unless you've built a relationship with them. You've got to love somebody a whole lot before you can start telling them what they're doing wrong, Right? And the problem is, is most of the time we're not really willing in this day and age to spend the time to get to know someone before we're ready to pass judgment on them. It's one of the reasons social media is so terrible. That's another topic. It's another reason social media is such a terrible thing is because we don't even know the people most of the time that we are just given our most, you know, serious critique of. We don't even know them. And yet we've already determined everything about them. One of the reasons I do social media less and less, by the way. All right, let's keep going. Verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you were strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Why do you think John is 
saying this like this. Anyone have an idea? Any? Yeah. Like who's not included here? Right? I, everyone is included. Ah, they're young. This doesn't really apply to you. You know, oh, you got this going on in your life. Doesn't really apply to you. He's saying this is this is for everybody. Why? Oh man! Thank you, Christina. All right, time to wrap up. It's time to wrap up. Yeah. This is our last Sunday here at Journey, uh, so let's uh, you know. That's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question. So, the, yeah, so the question, and this is what we're, we're going to end on this because we're out of time, and this is, a, this is not a great place to end, but, uh, but we're going to. Um, it's a great question that needs more time than I'm going to give it. This is what I would say. In the Old Testament, the Old, much of the Old Testament is meant to show us how absurd it is that we're going to be restored to the place what God created us on our own power. He did that by the giving of the law. One of the things he also did was he wanted them to remind them regularly about what happened in the Garden of Eden. And that's why we have the the curse for men and the curse for women. And one of the curse for women is that you are going to have to be under the lordship of the man. Right? Amen. Preach it. Go for it. Do whatever your husband says. That's the way it happens in some churches, right? And, uh, And then what we see throughout the New Testament, and this is, there's great debate on this. What I see in the New Testament is a slow reversal of that. Also, the incoming grace of Christ coming in. Even Paul is a perfect, he is the perfect example for this. In that throughout the Old Testament, it was a, it was a very patriarchal society. Whenever you read Numbers, you know, like how many people were there? We're talking about men. So you can pretty much double or triple it based on uh, the fact that women would have been there too. Much of Jesus' ministry, and I believe one of the reasons that he um, has so many individual conversations that are recorded with women is to demonstrate I'm shifting many patterns here. Lots of people disagree with me on this, and I'm okay with that because this is one of those areas that, hey, I have a reason for what I believe. I will stand before God. I will be judged. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I pray I will be covered by the blood of Christ, right? But we, even with Paul, we have places where Paul seems to be continuing the patriarchal line, which is women be silent in the church. And there are many people that say that women need to be silent in the church, except they do like almost all the work in the church. But you can't say anything, right? Which to me is absurd. And yet what we also see in Paul 
is Paul is speaking to such a vast audience. He begins talking to church leaders. <laughs> and if you want to mess up your theology, if that's where you are, that's okay. You need to do research and you need to know why you're where you're at. And if you come to a place through scripture and you're just going to say, well, he said, this is what he said. So that's what I'm standing on. I'd say, okay, but look deeper is what I would say. But he also goes on to commend leaders of the church who are, guess what? Women. So what we see is thousands of years of a patriarchal system that Jesus begins to shift. And again, now we are not atoning for our sin on our own, which is the old covenant. Now Jesus is doing that and literally begins to shift the understanding that today to hold to that patriarchal understanding, which many people still do, does deny that shift. And we see it. And I do think that one of the reasons that the apostles don't just have a whole book on this is because their goal is to shift the understanding of people still in a culture that functions in a patriarchal way. And let's be honest, our nation has functioned in that way until the last 50 to 100 years. So it's not like this is an easy needle to move. It is a worthwhile stance to take and say women have a role in leadership because the apostles celebrated women and leadership roles in the church. And yet shifting an entire culture at that time is very difficult. Is very difficult. So why is it not mentioned? Many times if you know maybe even some of you here today you've already shut me down everything i've said you're like i will never be back i don't believe that and that and if that's your stance and you're then you're comfortable confident with it then okay i get it for them they what they were trying to do is move the needle far beyond those conventions but in practice they had already moved it it's just not written down that way so this is really not fair to have this conversation in this short amount of time. Those are my Cliff Notes versions. And I'll be glad to have deeper conversations with more scripture um, as to why I have come to that place over time. Tracy? Yeah, I just want to add to that. Like, just like you were saying, just to do, do a lot more research than it's easy to easily Yeah, yeah. Again, these are complex issues that are in, and they are rooted in cultural um, traditions that have spanned thousands and thousands of years. I, I mean, literally, if you're going to go there to the place of saying women should not hold leadership based on Paul saying women should be silent in the church, women should also be covering their heads every time they walk in here, right? You also, you women with short hair, you are in great sin because your hair is your crown, right? And so by cutting it off, you're reducing your crown. 
Now, I'm not trying to make light. I'm not trying to make fun. I'm saying that what we have a tendency to do is follow patterns of behavior and belief that were given to us without critically going back and asking, why is that there? And this is one of those that, again, it is not fair to reduce this entire conversation into these few minutes. This is a a bigger conversation for those that have come up in a very traditional understanding of women's role in the church. I'm just saying, as I read the New Testament and I read what Jesus is doing, when I read his lineage, which includes so many women, I just think, why would you do that if women still were to remain in in, in the curse of sin that was given in the Garden of Eden when Jesus came to remove that curse. And I would also add to that, it wasn't, it was women with Rahab, and it was... Right, prostitutes, yeah. It was women that the rest of the world would Had zero value in the world. Yes, yes. It's, it's a good question. Thank you for bringing it up. This will be my last Sunday at Journey, so uh, <laughs> appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it really does. If you take the stance in which I've taken, you will then have to have a conversation about, well, why did Paul say women should be silent in the church? Because you can't just say, oh, yeah, well, then that just doesn't matter either. So you, it, it's actually a, it's a more complex conversation. Again, that, that's what these types of conversations have to be given their due time. We are out of time, but that have to be given their due time um, so that we have the opportunity to get to what did they really mean here. And we do have to be careful that we don't become revisionists. You know what a revisionist is? Revisionist is somebody who revises it for their own purpose. To revise something for our own purpose because you know what? And that is what a lot of churches do in this regard. You know, women should be silent in church, but none of the men will volunteer for anything. So we're going to let the women do it. That's revisionist. It suits me. So I'm going to change my opinion because it suits me. But when it comes right down to it, they can't be a senior, senior leader. Um, that's revisionist. A revisionist is to say, when God has clearly said this is wrong, to say, you know what, I think it's okay. That's revisionist. You know, we cannot be revisionists. So you have to come to a place that if God was here, and he, we believe he is here, two or more gathered, he is there. But in, in, in the sense of we're in the throne room in front of God, God is passing judgment on were we really serious about our faith. And he says, why did you hold it? And I don't know that this is how the conversation is going to go, but this is how I prepare myself. If I have to answer for this, I need to be able to stand in front of him and say, this is what you said. This is how I interpret it. This is what your people said. This is how I interpret it. And if I'm wrong, I, I repent. Um, but I didn't come here because it just suited me. I felt like this is really what you meant. And I, I, there are many of those things that I'm going to stand in front of God and he was going to go, Mark, you were an idiot. And I don't think he'll use that word, but it will be true because we are still broken people. We will not fully be restored until we are in front of Jesus. Jesus returns. We are in heaven. That is the only time that we are fully restored, but we are in the process of being restored along the way. I'm not even going to ask if anybody has any questions at this point, but I will tell you, I will stand down here and take any questions after if you'd like to come up and talk to me about it. But Christina, I jokingly, uh, I'm, I jokingly said, thanks for bringing it up. It is an excellent point and an excellent thing for us to discuss here as well. All right, let's pray. And, uh, and then we didn't even get through <laughs> chapter two again. Um, I'm, okay, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> 
chapter 2 and 3 next week again. Father, God, I thank you that uh, you are a God of grace, that even when we make mistakes, even when we are imperfect, even when we are flat out wrong, that you are a God of grace. And Father, I do pray that you would give us such a sense of, of your, not only your presence, but the work of your Spirit in us. You have told us that you were sending the Spirit so that we would be able to come to a deeper understanding of your Word than we could without it. And so I pray that you would liberate our thinking into a way that coincides with yours. Let us see as you see. If for nothing else that we do, let us see as you see. And I pray that for those areas that we're wrong, Lord, I pray that you would help us to adjust the way we see. I pray that in the areas that we are confident and we should have no reason for confidence, Father, I pray that you would quickly lead us to repentance. And whether it be this issue, whether it be the way we love others, uh, Father, I pray that you would show us uh, what it looks like to represent you well, because that is what you have called us to do. So let us represent you well. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for just what you're doing in all of our lives and uh, what you're bringing out through these conversations, through the epistles of John. I thank you for that. I believe your spirit is working among us and through us, and we are being challenged to go places we wouldn't have gone before. Uh, Father, just let us represent you well. And thank you for the grace when we don't. Lead us to the place that Jesus came and died on a cross for. And let us live that out confidently and wholly and lead other people to do the same. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.